This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin? Sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to The Lobe Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! In 1969, on League Cup final day, the Arsenal went to Wembley. They walked the Wembley way. They thought they'd have it easy. They thought they'd won the cup. Along came Swindon Town FC and it's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy. Terry Grace and I supported Swindon since 1956. I was at Wembley on March the 15th, uh, 1969. Hello, my name is Gareth Rees and I've supported Swindon since 1963. And I was at Wembley Stadium on March the 15th, 1969. I started supporting them in uh, 1956 because my, my father was a supporter, although he didn't get too many matches because he, he had to work. We always used to have the football pink, and I always used to read the uh, the pink on Saturday and all the things on Brunton Town. 
And he did take me to a match when I was about eight or nine. And that was in all the men and all the shouting. And I had a job to see very well, but I do remember going. That was before I started becoming a serious. You know, he just took me to introduce me to football, really. Then I um, started going on my own. I got paper around and I managed to earn enough money to then pay for us afterward of football. So I got a feeling it was about nine pence or ten pence to get in for a child then. I, I remember the team then because it was Edwards, Clayton. Sammy Burton and Goal, Garth Hudson. I went to Westcott School and he used to come coaching there. Not very often, but he'd come coaching there and training us. So I remember him from that because he was a huge bloke. <laughs> uh, Garth was got from the Daily Mirror. There was a, there was a cartoon series in the Daily Mirror uh, and with someone called Garth and he was a huge bloke. And so he got, I don't know, remember what his first real name was, but he got nicknamed Garth, Garth Hudson. It actually started with my father probably around 19. 19- 62, early 1963. My father worked in the railway and was very friendly with a guy called Norman Trollope, who was John Trollope's dad. Obviously, that was around the time that John was breaking into the team. I remember my father started to go to watch the town play around that time. It just really developed into the fact that, and I remember my first match very well, it was March the 12th, 1963, and all of the family went. That was myself, my dad, my brother and my mum. And we went to see Swindon play Bristol City and we beat them three goals to two after being 2-1 down at half time. So I went to see that game and uh, that was me. I was a committed town fan from that day onwards. We used to st- we used to stand in what was the old enclosure there where the Arkle stand is now. You know, we, it was a really family afternoon out. We used to get there by about 12.15. Uh, my mum used to pack some sandwiches and we used to queue and get in and to make sure that myself and my brother could be at the well, from the, in the old times, I always liked Morris Owen and Garth Hudson because I knew him. Later on, Rogers was the favourite, of course. I mean, I liked all of them. Early and Ernie, he was such a, a skillful general for the team. Mike Simmerby, of course. I knew Mike Simmerby personally because I, I was young at the time. I remember we went to St Ives and he'd come with us on all day. And we used to play, play football on the sand, but he just ran past everyone. He just couldn't get near him. He was so good. I mean, because all my mates played for Sanford combination at the time, football. I used to join in, but I wasn't going to get in a team or anything. But on the sand, when he was playing down at St. Ives, he just went by everyone. He just couldn't stop him. If he played, he just didn't have a chance. He'd shoot, he'd shoot from 20 yards out, and it'd be a goal, and no, no one could stop him. Of course, he was part of that good team. I think, I think that team was the best team we had, although the, the Wembley team were brilliant as well. I think you start getting people then coming from all round to see Swindon. That's where your crowd started growing. You've got people from uh, Devizes and even from Bristol and outlying places to come and see because it's such good football. Well, I suppose at that time, obviously, because that was when, uh, you know, the likes of Hunt, Summerby, Woodruff and, and obviously a little bit later, Don... Don Rogers came on the scene. So in the early days, it was Hunt and Summerby, partly because my father had met them whilst he was you know, sort of socialising with John Trollope's dad, and so they became names around the house. And, of course, they were outstanding players of their day. And, you know, I mean, being a, a keen footballer myself, even at that age, you were players that you aspire to. And then, obviously, moving through, you know, sort of moving on a few years, obviously, Don Rogers. I mean, uh, you know, those of us that were lucky enough to see him in his, in his youth and in his pomp, it's something that certainly my friends and I, we talk about now. So, 
I suppose really is those three that really stood out in those years. I, I went to um, Bradford at home. I went to Coventry home when he won three nil, and I went to Derby when Brian Clough's Derby come here. I didn't go to the away matches. I went to the um, when we beat Derby one nil at home, and Mackay was playing at the time. That was a big upset. Because they were sort of pushing everyone before him and we beat them 1-0. Because I think we played a really good passing game. During that cup run, I mean, I was lucky enough, um, I went to Commonwealth School and the school arranged a trip to the Coventry City away game. Um, but I'd seen all the home games. I'd seen Torquay, I'd seen Bradford before that and Blackburn. So obviously, you know, we were very much into it. And then to have the chance to go to what was then a first division club to see, uh, you know, to see us play at Coventry and come away with a draw was was great. And I think it was really after that, you know, and then we beat Coventry in the replay. I think it was after then you started to kind of think, well, you know, so could it be our, our year? You know, I mean, we knew we had a good, a good solid team and that on, on their day, they were capable of giving anybody a run for their money, really. And I think that when you what then clinched it was when we played Derby in the replay at home and we scored the goal which I'm sure you've seen and I, I remember very well which was a shot from Rogers which I think hit hit Roy McFarland and seemed to take an age to loop into the net at the Stratton Bank end I think then you sort of kind of started to believe that perhaps we could go all the way you know but no I mean we followed it very closely my friends and I that used to go and um Obviously, as each round came along, I mean, the excitement built. Obviously, I didn't go to either the away game or the replay. Um, I went to the home game and I remember John Smith, for him, getting a, a headed goal, which was very strange from the corner. Yeah, and I was actually at, for the replay. I mean, we actually listened to it on the radio. I, I was with some friends of mine because obviously TV um, live live matches weren't broadcast as much as they are now. And so we listened to it on the radio, but it was absolutely nerve-jangling. I mean, you know, and then to get the winner an extra time was 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 phenomenal. And really, as far as I can remember, I mean, it was it was a shot from distance by Peter Noble, which was quite an unheard of thing. Really, he was very much a um, a sort of penalty box poacher. But no, I mean, it's unbelievable. And then, of course, we were able to uh, to watch the highlights on the TV. We were allowed to stay up and watch the highlights on the TV later that evening. We knew Wembley was going to be packed, and we went by car, there was five of us. So we went to Watford, parked the car, and caught the tube, it was overland tube at the beginning, tube from Watford into Wembley. And I'd never, never been to Wembley in my life, this is the first time. And I remember we come at the tube station and then down Wembley way, and I saw a bit overall bit all. And then when we got into the ground, and looking around, and, and the noise and the, and the atmosphere was, was really electric like you know for us because um, um oh, i was 26 at the time i mean i was with two of my, my two brothers were with me as well i mean it was fantastic it was one of the best games and the atmosphere of just just getting into the stadium and looking around and seeing everyone and we had a good seat too we were not far from the royal box but the same level as the royal box just over halfway between the um, halfway line and the goal mouth and so we had a brilliant view of the match well, the journey to Wembley Stadium, really, it was something that was planned over many weeks, as I'm sure most of the people that went. I mean, it's a level of excitement that, you know, we'd never experienced before. And as, well, I was 15 then, I mean, it was something that was uh, obviously the talk of the school. Um, what we did was we opted to go by, by train. Um, from memory, I believe there was something like 20 
uh, you know, special trains that were arranged. And I remember well that we were on train number five. My mother had knitted me a, a new sort of red and white scarf and we were packed off to the station with our, with our sort of sandwiches and whatever. And yeah, it was, you know, I don't, I mean, there wasn't the level of excitement you get now. As far as I can remember, there wasn't the chanting and the singing at the station. It was all very orderly. I think everybody, you know, were slightly, you know, were um, I, not dubious, but we were sort of, you know, kind of sort of worried about what would happen that day because we were playing Arsenal and, you know, it was, it was such a big day. So apprehension, I suppose, is the word I was looking for. But yeah, so we, I mean, we sort of got on the train and, as I said, in a very orderly fashion and um, just made our way to uh, sort of Wembley Stadium. The train dropped us off at Wembley Station. So my friend and I had been quite fortunate. We, we, we'd been to Wembley a few years previous, uh, again, another school trip to see England schoolboys. So we had some some idea of what the stadium was, was uh, like. But I mean, you know, being a, a sort of local Swindon boy, it's still a hugely impressive sight. And of course, was, uh, you know, sort of what you'd seen on the TV with the World Cup and everything. Wembley on the day when the Giants met the Giant Killers. Swindon for the Cup was a hopeful cheer of thousands of fans who had come from Wiltshire to see their third division heroes face mighty first division Arsenal in the final of... We're going to talk about the Swindon Town squad now from that season and we're going to talk about all the players who featured during that Cup run. This includes three who didn't play in the final itself and we'll start with those three players. Mick Blick. He was what you would call an old, a sort of good old-fashioned stopper. He was quite an uncompromising centre half he was physically quite strong but uh, he was not somebody who would bring the ball out from the back for instance so I mean he did what he had to do which was effectively stop the you know for opposing forwards Chris Jones uh, Chris Jones came from Manchester City with quite you know an air of expectation because obviously he came from a big club but my impression of him was he was always quite lightweight to be perfectly honest and certainly in the in the league we were playing then, um, he probably wasn't physically strong enough, I think, to be able to make uh, that, you know, sort of that much difference. And um, again, he was one that was—he was somebody that was on the periphery of the squad. And whilst he made some, you know, some sort of useful contributions, he was never really able to cement a permanent place. And um, but I suppose he was the ideal guy, really, if he wanted to bring on as a sub. Owen Dawson. Yeah, I mean, all the, all the matches he played at that, he played well. Everything I've seen him in, I mean, he's a good player. I mean, you keep, keep control of him. I always liked Owen Dawson. I mean, he was a very good-looking guy. Yeah, I mean, he was I mean, he was an accomplished right-back. You know, again, there was no great no great levels of skill with him. He did what he had to do. Um, uh, you know, he. I mean, he was quite quick and uh, he was very nimble. And so, yeah, he was very good. I mean, he was a very able right-back. Number one, Peter Downsborough. Yeah, Peter Downsborough was... Uh, Again, I hate to use the term old-fashioned, but I suppose it does. I mean, it does apply to Peter. I mean, I mean, he did his job very capably. He was an unfussy goalkeeper. You know, he was very good. Certainly, I think he was probably better at uh, sort of one-on-one situations. He was good with instinctive shots. My memory seems to be that sometimes he could be caught out with crosses, etc. He wasn't the tallest keeper. But um, I think, as he proved in the final, he was a very good instinctive goalkeeper. He was unfussy, but he was very effective for us. On his day, that was one of the best goalkeeping displays I've seen. He played out of his mind, practically. He was um, outstanding. Number two, 
Rob Thomas. He had a real good game. He, he Mark Armstrong, who was, I thought, their best forward. He outplayed him on loads of occasions. I think he, he had an exciting game. He was a good player. I think he was a Welsh international as well, wasn't he? Well, yes. Yeah, well, this was the early days for Rod. And, of course, you could tell even then he was going to be a good player. I mean, he was he was very tall. I think he was well over six foot. And his legs seemed to go on forever, which enabled him to be able to make those sort of telescopic tackles that he, you know, that became a trademark. And yeah, I mean, clearly he was only he, he was in his, uh, his young days then, but clearly he was going to be a good player, uh, and he went on to prove that. Number three, John Trollope, because it was Owen Dawson who was going to play there, but um, Trollope um, another, another really good game. I think he um, he played one of the best games I've seen him, him play. Of course, they all had a good incentive, didn't they? They want to win that cup and. He was, yeah, he, he was good. I seen him do a few good stops in saves with him a couple of times. Well, John, obviously, as I say, my, you know, he was known. I mean, he was known to my family, and he was a, a, a great servant to the club, and a great fullback. And I think that probably along with people like Terry Cooper of those days, he, that he sort of developed the overlapping left back, which became his trademark role. Really, probably not the greatest defensively, if truth be told. I think probably he did deserve to go on and play at a higher level if he'd have accepted the chances. And I think there were some interested in him from first division clubs. But no, I mean, what a great servant to the club. And, uh, you know, glad to see him stood around and, you know, sort of relatively healthy now. Number four, Joe Butler. Um, I live at Green Meadow and he used to live in Trent Road, not far from me. Joe had another good game. He was um, always busy up in the defence and going forward? <laughs> Joe was, again, I suppose he was in the mould of, uh, sort of Nobby Styles, I suppose, if you like, in the sense that he did all the dirty work. I mean, you know, we'll go on to talk about the rest of the midfield, but he was one with the, you know, with a very sort of physical presence in midfield. He wasn't big, as you know, but he was a very tough tackler and could read a game very well. And he operated effectively in front of... Um, uh, you know, sort of Burroughs and Harland and tried to tidy up anything that was loose. Number five, Frank Burroughs. Hardly anything beat him in the air. He was, um, he put everything into it and again, an outstanding performance from him, I think. I, he didn't, I don't think he hardly put a foot wrong in, that, in the whole game. Well, Frank, again, uh, you know, he was an uncompromising, you know, sort of centre half. He was very dogged in yeah, in his sort of just, he was very good. I remember anticipating the balls. I mean, I mean, he wasn't physically that strong. He was quite tall, but he was very good at nipping in front of people and and sort of getting to the ball first. And uh, he was very good in the air and absolutely fearless. Absolutely fearless. Number six and captain Stan Harland. I suppose Stan. One of the reasons that uh, Danny Williams bought him was because he was a very good captain. He used to organise everybody. He used to calm people down and was a good defender. Again, I mean, he wasn't sort of that big in terms of his stature, but again, he was able to read the game well and he sort of captained the team well. And I think they, you know, he sort of always set an example. I mean, you could tell that in the way it sort of turned out. He was always immaculately turned out when, 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 you know, when he played. And uh, sort of a bit in the, the style, I suppose, of Bobby Moore. Number seven, Don Heath. He, he had a game like Alan Ball did in the 1966 World Cup. He just kept going and going, and, and he was always a trouble down that wing for the uh, Arsenal defence. And I, I think, again, another absolute excellent display from him. 
and he, he kept going right to the end. The Arsenal de- uh, defenders were all wavering. He kept playing right to the end of extra time. Yeah, Don was a, a good, hard-working winger, right? You know, right winger, very unfussy. He was. He had a good turn of pace and he could cross the ball well. And also he was very good at doing the work. He used to funnel back and, and help out the right back, whether that be Dawson or Trollope, and give them a lot of support. So he was very good in that respect. I think probably it would have been nice if we could have got more goals from Don, but I don't think he was really, you know, because he wasn't really a striker. He was more of, uh, you know, you know, because he used to fetch and carry the ball and sort of get it and then sort of cross it into the middle, but also give protection to uh, the right back. Number eight, Roger Smart. Very good. He he did that. That first goal was a rebound of his legs, I think, if I remember right. But um, he was given the Arsenal defence a lot of trouble. Again, a top performance from him and grit and determination. He kept going. I mean, running down that middle with all the mud. Yes, outstanding. Again. Well, yeah, Roger, again, was a, a, a sort of local lad. And in fact, I've, I've seen him recently. And again, good to see that he's still around and uh, yeah, so healthy. Yeah, Roger was, again, a hard worker. And he complimented Joe Butler very well in the sense that, you know, we always used to say that sort of, you know, Roger Smart used to run alongside people and effectively run them into Joe Butler to tackle. You know, so Roger Smart wasn't a tackler. Uh, he was very frail and some would say he wasn't the bravest uh, sort of player around. But he was very effective and he just had a, a terrific engine on him. He would run and run and run all day. Uh, and of course, I, I remember him very well because he scored the winner against Shrewsbury, which enabled us to get promotion in 1963. So I remember that very well. So, yeah, he's a very good, effective midfield player. And, um, you know, he sort of combined well with Joe Butler. Number nine, John Smith. The general. He's a, such a good player. If he'd been more fit, I'd been better. But he was outstanding again. A very good. I mean, his passing... Nearly every every pass he made was was finding its mark, which is difficult on that muddy pitch. He was um, again excellent. Yeah, John was a, a real character, and um, but he was the brains, wasn't he? I mean, he I think he played at a higher level before he came to Swindon, and he was the guy that just used to sit probably around the centre circle. I mean, he was let's say he was rotund, but I mean he could you know he could get around the pitch, and he was the one that was able to pay yeah you know, sort of play the ten twenty yard pass through through players or behind players to enable the forwards to uh, sort of get in. I always remember the story about John Smith and the reason why Swindon actually played in uh, plain white, because I gather there was some discussion, and this is just from memory, that we were going to play in stripes. But, yeah, sort of that was vetoed by uh, by a sort of John Smith because he said he thought that, that the stripes made him look fat, which is a, a strange anecdote. But, no, he was, again, he sort of fitted in very well to the midfield. And I suppose if you kind of look at it, there was a little bit of a diamond there and he used to play at the front of the diamond and he was the one that had, had the brains and the vision to play the strikers in. Number 10, Peter Noble. He had a bit of a quieter game, but he was, again, gave it his all. Yeah, Peter, again, was he was quite an enigma, really, as a striker, because he wasn't the most physical, uh, you know, sort, yeah, sort of physically well-built um, yeah, sort of striker, but he was sort of terrifically athletic in the box, and he was able to sniff out chances. I, I, I remember in that season when we got promoted him scoring a terrific overhead uh, goal I think with about 19 seconds to go I think against Rotherham or somebody like that but yeah he was a terrific goal goal poacher he wasn't the most physically as I say sort of present striker you could have but um, I mean his record speaks for itself in terms of number of goals and of course he did go on to 
play at a higher level as well. So, yeah, he was a great striker for us. Number 11, Don Rogers. <laughs> he had his usual good game. The muddy condition didn't suit him so much because the ball kept on getting stuck, you know, as they passed it, they're trying to push down the centre. Again, he, it's worth the money going in just to watch him. He's so exciting, he, he could just turn, he's, a, he's the man who could turn the game, and he did. Really, I suppose, the, it, it was the Rodgers final. I'm not sure what I can add about Don Rodgers in, in, in the sense that I, I as, as I said right at the beginning, I just feel very lucky that I was able to see him play probably at his best, I think, and I think probably most people would agree that he should have left Swindon earlier. I think if he was playing now, I think that you know the, the commentators would eulogise over him. I mean, he was doing things on a football pitch that uh, you know people hadn't seen before, just with his sheer pace and control. And when he was in the mood, he could actually win a game on his own. And it was always uh, a, a sort, of, yeah, sort of source of amusement. I mean, the way Swindon played then was that basically he used to hang around on the halfway line uh, and wait for the ball to be played through to him and. Very rarely did he get his shirt, his sort of shorts dirty. I can only really remember him heading the ball once or twice. He very rarely got booked. But goodness, when you give him the ball, he could destroy defences. And, um, you know, I've seen some magic moments at the county ground with with him. And um, those memories will live long. I mean, you only have to go on YouTube to, you know, to see what the guy could do. And I'm sure those Swindon fans would have gone onto YouTube and saw when he played for Crystal Palace, uh, that epic match when he destroyed Manchester United basically on his own. Just so um, pleased and, uh, that I've been able to see him and proud that he was a Swindon Town player. Number 12, Willie Penman. He came on and um, actually we conceded the goal, but that went through him. He was he had, he had a good work rate and he was he played well and it, and he was tenacious. In the end, I think he he had a good match. Well, he again was a good workman like player. I mean, he was dogged in midfield. Uh, he I mean he would do the hard yards. And again, I suppose quite typically of that team, he didn't really have a huge physical presence, but he was quite a tough Scott, tough a tough tackling mid midfield player, but with a fair amount of skill, was able to um, you know to play a good through ball and you know be able to set the strikers up. And he would and he would chip in with the odd goal. The manager, Danny Williams. Yes, Danny Williams um, was our second best manager, I would say, although he won that. Because I also thought Bert Ed, because he, of that team he created, from nothing, we went from nothing to that brilliant team. I always rated Bert Ed because he went to Crystal Palace afterwards and he, and he managed to get Don there. But Danny was our second best manager. We've had a lot of good managers, Glenn Hoggle. Um, Lou Macari, Ozzie Davies, just to name three brilliant managers. But I think Danny rates above him for what he done. Uh, that team he created there was um, exceptional. Yeah, Danny, bless him. I mean, uh, Danny. I think this. I think Swindon was uh, obviously the highlight of his career because although he managed afterwards, he never really was able to achieve anything like that. And it's something. I, again, I don't know whether you've seen it, but there was a documentary uh, that was that was circulated, or I've, I've seen an interview with him recently. And I think the thing that struck me with Danny, and I suppose now I think about it, was what he did was whether by. Uh, by design or by fortune, he managed to assemble a, a group of very hard-working players. And I think that was very much in his image. I think he valued players that were tough, uncompromising, hard-working. And, of course, that was... He was able to gather that because, he had, of course, he had the diamond of Don Rogers, who was going to probably get him 28 or 30 goals a season, which really, you know, once you 
you know, I mean, you had the other nine nine players to do the hard work, if you like, and then and then Don Rogers was the icing on the cake. I think tactically he got it about right that yeah, you know, sort of that season. He was able to set the squad up in a way that was very effective, and um, I think you could only give the guy credit. Well, here's the Arsenal team, without its surprises. Number seven, Radford, obviously a man who is going to bring danger to Swindon's hopes. He scored 19 goals this season. Such a well-balanced side, this Arsenal one. You know, as a, as a very keen football fan, I mean, I was very aware of, of Arsenal and he knew all the players. I mean, particularly players like Bobby Gold and, and those guys, you know. And so you were aware of... Because in those days, they used to be called the Arsenal. It wasn't uh, just Arsenal, it was the Arsenal, which goes back to, uh, uh, I think, the late 20s and 30s, and the early 30s when they were a sort of major force. But yeah, I mean, we were, you know, so we knew what we were up against. And I think, and it, it just sort of going back a little bit to when you asked me about the day, one of the overriding memories I have as well, which isn't uh, particularly good for Arsenal, is that my friends and I, we were stood in Block C of Wembley Stadium. and like we did we got there early those days and we, we and we stood outside and waited for the gates to open and there's a group of arsenal supporters actually came around behind us and they were it, it, you i mean you had to go up steps to get into wembley stadium and they stood at the bottom of the steps and they were throwing coins at us and this is the first time i'd ever encountered any sort of hooliganism or anything like that and it was quite a surprise and I think that was you know I mean they didn't last for very long and I think the police came along and moved them on but um, I suppose that was one memory that sticks with me about Arsenal apart from like the size of the club which just you know they're you know sort of being attacked if you like by their fans. They were attacking especially at the, um, at the first half we were defending quite a lot Armstrong in particular a good player and Radford Caused us a bit of trouble as well. We seem, I mean, my impression, of course, I'm biased. I, I thought we were containing them quite well. I mean, our defense, we had a really good defense and we seemed to be containing them quite well and they didn't pose that much threat. They, they had, a, I think, Radford had one shot that was, well, I'll say, by, well, he saved quite a few shots, but he had them covered quite easily. But he had one shot that he, he managed to push around the post, which was a, a bit of a danger. But apart from that, I think we pretty well stopped their attack from being too dangerous nearly for most of the match. They had very few real chances. And to say that, you can say how good our defence was, I think. Even in the opening stages of the game, it was clear that this was to be no ordinary match. The lads from Swindon were playing like men inspired. Dangerous in attack, solid in defence. It was a lot of sand on the pitch, if I remember right, where they tried to repair it and make it look better. And sometimes when you pass the ball, obviously it got stuck. You, you know, it sort of didn't make the pass. It didn't affect the game too much because the players knew then that the short passing uh, was better than trying to be too ambitious. So in the case it got uh, stuck in the wood, so it didn't affect the game that much. It was end to end to end stuff a lot of the time, and um, and the tackling was pretty good. And of course, in them days, there was no feigning injury or falling over. If you got it over, you got straight up and played on with it, and there was no no playing about it. I think it was all done in a really good fashion. There was very few, there was no serious fouls. There was very few fouls, and and they were minor things, and and it was a good flowing game. So the mud didn't really affect it too much, I don't think, because it's the same for both teams. Obviously for Arsenal and Swindon. Uh, otherwise, I know Arsenal said that that's what cost them it, but I don't think it really did. I think um, uh, it was the fact that Swindon were. Um, uh, up for it that day more than Arsenal were. You know, when we got into Wembley, I mean, 
you know, obviously it was an awesome sight. But yeah, you could see the pitch was heavily sanded. You know, some would say it was very reminiscent of the county ground. So I suppose that gave us an edge. A little bit disappointing because obviously you expect Wembley Stadium and the Wembley turf, as we'd all heard about, to be, you know, this sort of emerald green carpet that people played on. But that wasn't. And I think that, again, that was just one of the... The, the things of that run in the cup where the gods were on our side. I mean, it did really help, you know, to make it a little bit easier for us. Of course, we were all Swindon sports, I suppose, at that time. And, um, and the noise and the cheering and the, and the singing and the atmosphere. I said it was my first time in, at Wembley and um, and I was just so tall up. It was marvellous. It was my articulation and everybody on this. But um, it was something that um, kept you excited through the old match. Like, you know, it was... And the match was so good anyway. Everything was perfect. Well, I remember being told that, that sort of Swindon was empty on that day. I suppose it really was the fact that we'd never experienced that, that before. I mean, we were all there to enjoy the day. I mean, did we expect to win? Probably not. We just wanted to experience the occasion of being in a major English Cup final for the first and possibly the last time, the only time. And, you know, I, I'm sure you remember, if you've heard the recordings, the, you know, the cries of Swindon, Swindon, just sweeping around the stadium. I mean, it just caught on. It just seemed to, I think it just seemed to fill the stadium. I think it even was much louder than what the Arsenal uh, end could, could sing. And I remember that, you know, just that constant uh, droning chance, if you like, of Swindon, Swindon. And now Rogers bringing it out of defence for Swindon. Lovely play. And there to take the return. Good play by Rogers. Oh, a terrible mix up. Noble. Simpson. Smart. And What a terrible mistake by Arsenal. What a dejected man he is. It's Smart who finally pushed it home. But you're a Wilson between them. Oh, what a happy man. What a smart. Yes. Not, so, yeah, so probably not his best goal that he's ever scored. I've seen him hit some screamers. But yeah, I mean, it was a classic a sort of comedy of errors, wasn't it, between um, Ian Yore and Bob Wilson. But again, I mean, you know, this is what our forwards did. They, they never gave up. And I think it was Peter Noble that chased the lost calls. He hurried them into a, a sort of mistake. And got the ball across to Roger Smart, who again, from memory, seemed to take an age to get it into the net. I think it probably bobbled in his net off the knee. But, I mean, we were, you know, so we were in front and that's all that mattered. How it went in, you know, was because that was at the far end to where we were stood. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, what an amazing thing to be in front of a cup final. Football Wilson was in goal for Arsenal. So it was enjoyable. I think after that, he didn't like Swindon. Whenever he, he said anything about Swindon after that, he, it wouldn't very compliment him at all. <laughs> Swindon's goalie, Downsborough, was having a marvellous game, but Arsenal were really having a bash. Time and again, the Swindon goalie proved his worth. Downsborough again blocked the gunners, but the pressure was really on. In the final, Downsborough played out of his mind. On his day, that was one of the best goalkeeping displays I've seen. He played out of his mind, practically. He was um, outstanding. The number of saves he made. Yeah, second best player on the pitch, I would have thought. I mean, he kept the... Defence, so much confidence. Radford had the ball taken off his toes. What a show of courage by this third division keeper. 
Arsenal piled in everything. I mean, there were goal, there were there were shots coming in left, right, and centre. I mean, and it, you know, sort of Downsbrook made some magnificent saves, but again, it was dogged defending by the likes of Burrows and Harland. I mean, it really was. I mean, it was a display that typified Danny Williams, and it was shirt sleeves rolled up, get stuck in, fight for each other, you know, and basically lay your body on the line, which is effectively what it was. And five more minutes now for Swindon to hold out, and judging by their performance over the. Last 85 minutes, there's nothing to say that they can't do it. Your Graham, now cooled off in support. Can Cool get to it now? It's a goal! By Cool! And my goodness, is he not pleased with life? Bobby Cool! Oh, what a smile! And they are really happy, he's crying! Bobby Cool is crying! The only time I can remember the Arsenal supporters cheering and singing was after the Bobby Gold goal. I was really disappointed, obviously, because it was only a few I thought we won it. But I wasn't really, I wasn't uh, downhearted. You know, we were already crestfallen after that. We thought, well, OK, we held out for so long. Arsenal have equalised. Now surely they must go on to win. And there goes the whistle for the end of 90 minutes. And we go into extra time. When... Swindon played Burnley in the replay and we beat them 3-2 although we were down at the top and we come back to win it I think they had Ian Yorm and Frank McClinton in the studio and they said that's it we've won it now we're, we're, we're way on favourites now after Swindon they said we're playing Swindon we, that's ours There's been a lot made about the fact that Arsenal players were ill I believe they had a, a sort of flu a flu virus and, you know and you have to be fair and probably say well that probably didn't help. I mean, I think in those days you were only allowed the one sub, so it really, you know, they weren't able to supplement the teams like you do these days. And I think in the, I, I think sort of during extra time, I think we more than held our own. And I think again, from memory, I think we probably, I can't remember them creating any definitive chances. And I think that we, you know, we, we did seem to get stronger. And I think, you know, year, well, months of playing on, the mud pile that was the county ground. I think that we, you know, we just assimilated ourselves so much better the, to to the conditions, and we were superbly fit. And it's a brave man who put his money on a winner of this game. It's still so very even and so very very close. Very nearly through. Rogers, a goal by Rogers. Don Rogers, goal 23 of the season for him, and the most important one of all. To be honest, I think that was, you know, and again, I've had this said to me by people outside of Swindon. So what a superb piece of skill by Rogers to be able to kill the ball with his left foot, move it to his right foot almost in one mo movement. And despite all the uh, sort of lusting tackles of, of, of players like Yor and Simpson and McClintock and whatever, was able to calmly tuck it away. I mean, he did it. It was so fluid. If you watch it, 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 it it's just a one fluid movement, really, when he does it. And I think that... You know that was um, showed he was a player of supreme quality. Whenever you um, went to see Swindon play, <clears throat> I don't know about it was Wembley or anywhere, the only mud Donald would have, Don have him, would be a little bit up his back where he'd been running, and he flicked the, the mud up onto his back. But apart from that, his kick was pristine. Everyone else would have slide tackling, and you sometimes could tell Swindon players apart because all their shorts were were black with mud, and you could tell them from Arsenal sometimes. That's far away for Swindon. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! 
Don Rodgers, his second goal of the game, and that really put Swindon down utterly and completely in the clear. Well, it was great for, for I mean for us because we were at the end where Rogers run run towards, so we could see what was going on, obviously in the Swindon half when the play broke down. And it was really what I said earlier, that Rogers basically just used to patrol the halfway line. And, you know, I think the ball, from memory, you may correct me, but I think it was a tackle by Butler, possibly the ball broke to Smart. Smart looked up and there was Don Rogers on the halfway line. And we knew, once he got the ball, that he was going to score. You just knew that with Don Rogers. He just didn't miss. And the Arsenal players tried to catch him, which they couldn't, obviously, because Don just skipped over the mud. He, he, uh, seemed, uh, he was blessed with superb balance and speed, and he just sort of skipped over it as though it wasn't there. And even had the confidence to, you know, to send Wilson the wrong way. And, you know, if you hear the, um, you know, these sort of interviews with Bob Wilson after that, I mean, he's in total admiration of what Rogers is able to do. Yeah, I mean, the place just exploded, I think, after that. I think the, the sort of realisation of what we'd done, you know, it's all dawned on us, really. Bob Wilson, so dejected, understandably so. And there is this incredible scoreline. Arsenal 1, Swindon Town 3, the final whistle. Swindon have won the Football League Cup for 1969. And now, soon, looking at that score, that sign up there, it said Arsenal 1, Swindon 3. And I'd come away after I couldn't speak. I think I had two or three days before I could speak it. And my, my throat, I mean, I, I never spent so long cheering in all my life. That's what I did there. That was... It was, I mean, it was the first really big game I've been to, like, you know, and uh, at Wembley. First time I've been to Wembley, because I'd never been to see to support England there, I think. I just supported Swindon. But it was something that we all, you know, never forget. That was the end of the match. And you've got to remember also, Frank, four losing finals, yeah. of which the last of those, the Swindon one in the mud on that day, we got yeah. a tankard. And I was with Frank when he just went, oh, not another effing tanker. And he threw it and it disappeared in the mud of, <laughs> yeah. of Wembley, we... you know. And, 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 I mean, he was just so despairing, walked into the band and got hit by a trombone. Yeah, the band was yeah. going on. I was that gone. I was so mentally distraught because we were massive favourites at last. We're playing a third division side. You know, great side they were, fantastic side. But we're going to beat them, aren't we, you know, but... We, we finished up getting beat 3-1 and they deserved to win 3-1 as well and I threw this away, I was that angry and then I finished up walking amongst the band, you know, the Grenadier mm. Guards and there was big trombones <laughs> hitting the back of my head and all that and I was ready to fight don't them you, as well. Think I think it was well documented, Frank, that you were actually lost about four cup finals. So after the game, I thought the boys were great actually because they were saying it was great for Frank. You know, and that just shows you yeah. how popular it was. <laughs> my, t- my roommate. <laughs> well, obviously in the ground, I mean, it was fantastic to see Harlan go out and get the, the trophy. And then when they came round to the Swindon end, you know, it's fantastic. It was euphoric or whatever word you want to use. I mean, it is, I suppose, disbelief was also in there. We just couldn't believe what we were seeing. You know, I mean, this was our hometown club from homely third division Swindon. And, you know, you, you, know, you just don't have those type of days out. Uh, I mean, even when QPR won it two, two years beforehand, it seemed different for them because they were like a London team. But to get a team come up from the country and win was was, was just fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, in the stadium, it was fantastic. But again, and it's something that I suppose 
typifies the way things were those days. I mean, we all then just filed orderly out of the, the ground. There was no trouble. There was no pushing or shoving. We all filed, filed out of the ground. And I remember that when we... The, the train coming up, we had to get a certain train, but going home, you could just get any train that was there. They just get on the first one you could, really. And on the train, obviously, there wasn't any drinking. Well, we were only 15, so that wouldn't affect us. But um, it was just kind of, you know, just a very happy buzz. There was a few people singing, you know, songs, but nothing too rowdy. And it was just a, a sort of fantastic sort of feeling of, so I say a mixture of euphoria and disbelief of what had gone on and people talking about the game and, you know, trying to relive the, the memories of the game, really. And then when we got to Swindon Station, you know, again, people just got off the train. Um, I'm sure uh, sort of the adults would have, you know, sort of those that could would have gone would have gone to the local pubs. Um, so my friends and I, we... We were hungry, so we found the nearest chip shop, which was absolutely sort of crammed full of people, you know, sort of getting their sort of fish and chips to go home with. So, you know, whether there were any celebrations in the pubs and whatever of town, I'm sure there were, uh, but not something that we um, that we actually involved in. And then the following day, I mean, obviously my friends and I were, were sort of really excited. We watched the game on on um, ITV. It's on about 2.30, I think, something like that. And then um, my, because we used to live in the railway village, um, obviously we made plans to go and see the uh, tour around, around the town. So um, we saw them come along Farringdon Road. We saw the coach go along Farringdon Road and the, all, all along Farringdon Road, people were two or three deep and, you know, cheering and with their um, scarves, etc., and a few flags. And then again, because we're only 15, we ran to uh, the town hall where the um, coach procession was going to end uh, and managed to get our way towards the front. And yeah, as the, as the Rhymes coach came through and came round by the uh, sort of town hall and the players got off, came out onto the balcony of the town hall and um, it was just a sea of people. I mean, you've seen the pictures, I guess. I mean, they were all sort of people who were, were mobbed down sort of Regent Street and whatever and but again it's sort of just part part of the day i suppose when that finished people just went home we just orderly just went home <laughs> you know it wasn't you know the celebration i remember the celebrations with the playoff finals when it was bedlam for hours afterwards but in those days it was much more ordered and again i think there was the air of disbelief of what we'd done and you know that carried on when people were able to read the uh, sort of newspapers and whatever and of course there wasn't the wall-to-wall tv coverage that you'd get now i mean if i mean if something like that happened now i mean it'd be wall-to-wall tv coverage but then it was just you know sort of highlights the day afterwards etc but yeah it's a sort of memorable time my wife at the time was um over eight months pregnant and my one of my brothers had just got married two weeks before my other brother and his two friends went off celebrating we caught the tube back and uh, then come home to our wives so we couldn't do those because i had to get back to my wife was she wanted to come to the match but she couldn't because she was too close for a time like, you know, my, my son was actually born four weeks later, was it? April's my son was born. So I had to get back to look after my wife. I had strict orders to come back. These are events that will live with me uh, for the rest of my life. And in fact, I, I still play golf with one of the guys that I went to Wembley with. And we were only talking about the day itself yesterday. We played golf yesterday and... You know, he he said, "Oh, it's March the fifteenth soon." And you know, I think anybody that was a Swindon supporter, certainly those that attended, 
you only got to say March the 15th and you know what that means. You don't have to say, or oh, when we won the League Cup final or when we beat Arsenal or whatever. You just say March the 15th. And you don't even, again, you don't have to say the year. You just March the 15th. And everybody that follows Swindon knows what that means. The best ever football match I've seen because of the occasion, because of the, the play and because of the resort. Well, I, I mean, I still remember it today with a lot of pleasure. I always do. What an incredible afternoon this third division side Swindon Town have produced for us all here. To go ahead, to be pulled back and apparently flung to the floor, but to come back so brilliantly with those two goals in extra time. A really magnificent performance. Below Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Come on, boys! It's a grand old team to play for It's a grand old team to see Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hi, Ellis Pod fans. It's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.